0: So we are going to hand over to Ben in a minute. He's going to do his swift kind of transition into preaching. Um, So let's just pray for Ben this morning. Mm. Father God, I thank you so much for Vintage and for um, everyone that you've called to be here. And we thank you so much for Ben. And I pray that you would use his words and his planning and what he's going to say to speak so powerfully to us today. Holy Spirit, come, open our ears, open our eyes and open our heart to hear from you today. In your name we pray. Amen.
1: Amen. Amen. Smooth move of removing face mask. It's good. Um, well, hey, guys, it's so good to see a uh, lot of new people here. And um, the reason I was on my phone is not because I was bored in the church service and doing something else. I was just checking in online and seeing lots of faces and chat going on online as well. So really, really brilliant to have you all with us um, this morning. Last week, if you tuned in or if you were here, we had this look at the Beatitudes, the ser- beginning of the Sermon on the Mount. And we looked at this very radical transformational moment when Jesus starts to talk about a heart attitude, not of superiority or arrogance of, or pride, but actually of humility that often when we want to meet God, when we want to encounter his presence and his power, we find it not in our laughter and our joy, but we actually find it when we're at the end of our rope. That's where God's presence meets us. That's where his healing comes. That's where he uh, inter, uh, He enters into situations of our lives and brings transformation and healing and fills us up. It's a little bit like if you can think of a car that's like stuttering down the street, like out of gas, um, as I've done very many two times in my life. And you're just, just limping into the gas station, but you get to the gas station and you 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 fill it up with gas, and suddenly the car kind of springs back into life. It's able to be all that it's meant to be. That's so often what it's like when we encounter God's presence and His power that just breathes into us that new life. And actually, as he does that, we find that not only the Holy Spirit kind of meets us in that healing sense, but also equips us and empowers us to become the people that we were always designed and intended to be um, in Jesus. And so um, this morning, we're going to think, as we have been doing for a number of months now, about the shape of the kingdom of life. But we're going to talk about it in terms of sin and law and love and grace. And and I know like, when you come to church on Sunday morning, there are certain topics which is like, oh, just please don't talk about that. Money is definitely one of those topics another one I think is the word sin it's like the least cool word on the planet right now no one wants to talk about sin but I hope that this morning this will be helpful it will be um, it will be it will equip you I hope that it will kind of inspire you towards the kingdom life because particularly I want to show you the difference between how legalism and sin and things on one side will kill you, but actually how joyful, spirit-filled obedience to God and his plans and his purposes for your life will bring you into that space of joy and purpose and meaning and identity and all the things that God has for us. So let's see if we can get our passage this morning, um, which if you've got your Bibles in front of you, comes from Matthew chapter five. Um, If you can see a screen, then it'll also be up on the screens around you.
0: that they may see your good deeds and glorify your Father in heaven. Do not think that I have come to abolish the law or the prophets. I have not come to abolish them, but to fulfill them. For truly I tell you, until heaven and earth disappear, not the smallest letter, not the least stroke of a pen will by any means disappear from the law until everything is accomplished. Therefore, anyone who sets aside one of the least of these commands and teaches others accordingly, Will be called least in the kingdom of heaven but whoever practices and teaches these commands will be called great in the kingdom of heaven for i tell you that unless your righteousness surpasses that of the pharisees and the teachers of the law you will certainly not enter the kingdom of heaven matthew 5 13 through 20.
1: Thank you for um, that. So out of this kind of very humble beginnings, this very humble start, suddenly Jesus says these words to this group of people, the meek, the humble, the poor in spirit. He says, you are the salt of the earth. You are the light of the world. Now, that kind of seems to me at least like a very strange thing that you would say to people like that. But there is this kind of sense that Jesus is saying there is a way to be alive. There is a way to be a human being on earth that actually will change the world around you, that will point to the kingdom of God. Now, the context which Jesus is speaking in is like a very, very legalistic Jewish context. There were laws in Israel for all sorts of things. There were ceremonial laws, there were moral laws, there were were civil laws, and some of the laws were to do with faith and religion and God. Some of the laws were actually about the nation of Israel. But within that context, what had happened is that the Pharisees had taken some of these laws and that they had radically distorted them into their favor. They had perverted them, they had changed them, they basically made them a lot easier for them to fulfill so they could do anything they wanted to. And at the same time, they'd use them as this kind of stick to beat people. So if you were like one inch to the right side of the law, you were fine. But if you were one inch to the wrong side of the law, God clearly hated you. was a bit like this just see if this works okay so 210 freeway anyone you know guys know where the 210 is Yep. everyone clearly here knows where the 210 is if you're online and you're tuning in from somewhere else the 210 is the very large bit of concrete that runs straight the way through the middle of pasadena it's like a 57 lane highway or at least it feels like it to me Um, and it's normally no one's moving on it either but they are at the moment because of covid Um, right what is the speed limit on the 210 freeway anyone 65 miles an hour in a car. Okay. Now, this is church, Sunday morning, confession time. Okay. Who here has never been faster than 65 on the 210? Hands up. For the record, people online, I don't think there was one hand that went up in the whole room. If there was, sorry, I missed it. Okay. Okay maybe what we think is, I'm going to drive as fast as I think is safe, or probably, for a few of us at least, I'm going to drive as fast as I can, but until I think I'm going to get pulled over by a cop and given a ticket, right? Okay, we kind of interpret the law the way we want to interpret it. But out of all of you who didn't put your hands up a minute ago, how many of you secretly get really quite angry at other motorists who break other motoring laws that you think are really important? Hands up. Yeah, that's, that's me, absolutely. So we choose the laws that we want, we bend the laws that we want, and then we get cross when other people don't obey the laws. That's exactly what the Pharisees had done with all of these different laws. And it basically meant that it was just a complete mess. Now, inside this context, Jesus is writing, speaking to these people and, and trying to give them a better perspective, a better understanding of what the law is and what it's for. Now, people would have said of Jesus, like, oh, wow, is he this revolutionary? Is he going to be the guy who's going to get rid of the law altogether? When actually Jesus comes in and straight away, he says, no, actually, I did not come to get rid of the law. That isn't the point of what I am doing. Now, he's not really speaking about kind of ceremonial laws. He's not really talking about kind of worship laws. He's talking about things like the Ten Commandments, the moral laws of God. So there's actually nothing wrong with the laws of God. Why? Because they're the laws of God, because he spoke them into being. But we have to understand them and what they do and what they don't do in the wrong way. The first thing you need to understand, Jesus says, about the law is that there is a line of righteousness. There is good and bad. There is evil and good. There is light and dark. There is death and life. But it's not that there's this kind of like line on the ground, which is kind of maybe, let's say, five out of ten. And if you are, you know, 4.8 had a reasonable day, you know, you're in trouble or you're like Mother Teresa and it's like, you know, 9.9 and you're okay or Adolf Hitler like 0.1. It's not that there's some sort of line like like Father Christmas, naughty or nice line down the middle of life and you might be okay and you might not be okay. Jesus says no, that the righteousness that comes from the law is of a whole different kind. In fact, the line that is on the ground is not five, it's actually five million it's off the end of the charts that the righteousness of God, when God who is holy, when God who is other looks down at the world and looks at human beings, it's not like he goes, mm, okay, well, Ben, he didn't have a good day today. Okay, I'm so angry with him. Or Camillo, he had a much better day because he's much nicer than Ben. Okay, then, then he was okay. That's not how God looks down because God who is holy and other and perfect, when he looks at the world, actually, he says to all of us, I'm sorry, but you are so far off the standard. You're so far off the standard of life, which means that inherently when we think about our righteousness, our ability to be right in front of God, we're empty-handed. We don't have what it takes. Jesus says the only person who's ever fulfilled the law, the only person who's ever managed to actually live into the things of the law and managed to check all the boxes and be that good was Jesus himself. For the rest of us, we are in big trouble What we need is a different kind of righteousness. Martin Luther, who's that old theologian I talked about last week, he says we need like an alien righteousness. I don't think he meant like a Roswell righteousness or like a Martian level of weird righteousness. But he actually meant that inside us, we don't have the righteousness we need. We need somebody else's righteousness given to us so what we need is we need the righteousness of Christ given to us. That, that, that's the amazing thing of the Christian story is that actually, that when we become Christians, when we give our lives to Christ, when we get to the end of our rope, when we realize, oh man, I can't do it, I couldn't do it, I don't have enough in me, that there's no way that I can be right in front of a holy and other God. When we get there, when we repent, when we turn, when we're baptized, actually, in that moment, when God sees us from his standard of perfection, no longer does he see the brokenness. No longer does he see us as our sins deserve, but actually because we are given his righteousness, Jesus's righteousness, God sees us other. As 2 Corinthians 1.30 says, you are in Christ Jesus who has become for us as us followers of him, the wisdom from God, that is Our our righteousness, holiness, and redemption. That what God gives to us is a righteousness that we don't have by ourselves. You know, you and I, if we were left to our own devices, if we thought that we could figure this whole life thing out on our own, we'd be absolutely screwed in front of God. But the amazing thing is that God has made us right in Christ, and for me that's incredibly good news because it means when I come to church on Sunday morning I don't have to go okay hmm yeah that was a 3.1 I'm screwed. It means actually when I get in front of God when I come into his presence I realize that he loves me, he knows me, he's forgiven me, he sees me as I am as if I was righteous and not as my sins deserve but then, of course, right, it raises this question. Like, how do you live on earth? If God just sees us as great and fantastic, and like uh, we've got our l- good relationship with God, we're going to heaven one day, absolutely brilliant. It's like life, just one fantastic wild party where you just kind of live into all the kind of worst things that you can possibly think of to have a ri- wild ride before you get to heaven. Well, Jesus says no. He says no for a number of reasons. One is because what is over here, this righteousness, this way of being it's not just about some sort of checkbox exercise. It's also the very way that you are for, to find life. This is where hope is. This is where love is. This is the wonderful good things of the kingdom of God, as opposed to, on the other end, the things of darkness, the things of brokenness, the things that will cause you pain and cause other pain, others' pain. But it's also, as Jesus says, this is the way, by living into the things of the kingdom, that the world knows who God is. So like, you know, you've got neighbors, I've got neighbors, work colleagues, all those kind of people. And we often think, right, well, how are they going to know about Jesus? Like who is going to tell them about Jesus? And we think, well, maybe one day they might just pick up a Bible and that would be superb, wouldn't it? And they'll just read it for themselves. Like maybe they will. One day they're going to have like a dream and suddenly have this epiphany and like they'll meet the Holy Spirit in a dream and they'll want to come to church and Alpha and those kind of things. Like maybe they will, but they probably won't, all of them. Actually, when Jesus says you are the light of the world, what he's actually saying is that people will see in the church something that's different that the whole point of who we are is supposed to reflect a different kingdom, a different way of being. And Jesus gives us these six different ways of contrasting the things of brokenness and darkness to the things of the kingdom. Now, I'll just be honest with you, they're heavy, right? This is Sunday morning, it's a bit hot out here. Um, You might not like all of these, and I haven't got time to go into into great detail, but I want to kind of try and show you the difference between darkness and light. Okay, so in your Bibles, verse 21. You have heard that it was said to the people long ago, you shall not murder, and anyone who murders will be subject to judgment. But I tell you that anyone who is angry, with a brother or sister, will be subject to judgment. Now, see, what the Pharisees wanted to do was say this. Like, basically, right, back on the 210, you're driving down the 210, somebody cuts you off, flicks up the middle finger, like, really obnoxious. You get super angry. You drive them off the road. You pull them out of the car. You beat them up. But you don't kill them. And basically, the Pharisees would say, you did nothing wrong. Like, totally okay, because nobody died. You did the right thing. And Jesus is saying, is this the standard of love that you have drawn on the ground? Is this where the kingdom of God is? And he says, absolutely not. Like, the kingdom of God is over here. The question is not whether or not you killed the guy. The question is, why do you have anger in your heart? Why were you cross? Why did you call him racha, which basically is the word idiot? It's like, why did you start shouting and screaming? Why is inside your, your head and your heart, why are you seeing red? Why is it that you're so full of bitterness and envy and anger? So much so that Jesus says, if you get to church on a Sunday morning, Saturday, in Jewish culture, if you go to the temple and you are angry and you are cross with someone else, what you need to do is you need to take your gift, the offering that you brought, you need to lay it down and you just need to go home. And you need to go and deal with your anger. You need to go and ha- have it out with that person. Because unforgiveness, brokenness will kill you. It's not just the standard of righteousness. It's where life is. And if you're in this place of darkness and hatred and anger, then you're going to die from it. Like they always say, don't they? Unforgiveness is like, it's like having a vial of poison, pouring it. And then instead of giving it to your en- enemy, just drinking it. <laughs> and drinking it, and drinking it again. The standard of love is to settle matters quickly. And then he goes on into verse 27, and he says, um, you've heard it was said, don't commit adultery, but I tell you, anyone who looks at a woman lustfully has already committed adultery with her in his heart. See, I told you it was gonna be cheery this morning. Like, the Pharisees said, right, you can do anything you want as long as you don't sleep with someone else's wife, as that famous political line goes, I did not have sexual relations with that woman, right? That is not the standard of love, Jesus says. What's the standard of love? The standard of love is that when you married someone, you said that you were gonna commit to mean that the rest of your life, your sexual fulfillment, which is wonderful and of God, is gonna be found in that person, whether it's going well or it's going badly, which means, Jesus says, that if there's anything in your life that is dragging you towards darkness, Actually, you have to, you've got to cut it out. You've got to get rid of it, even if it seems like a very small thing. Like whether it's you know, late at night, like on the internet, you know, just lonely, bored, tired, frustrated, whatever it is. You've got to cut it out. Whether it's like you're walking down the street, you know, and this beautiful person coming the other way, and you know, your head's turning, you find yourself like in this land of fantasy and imagination. You've got to get rid of it. You know, whether it's like, you know, you know, whatever it is, you've got to cut it out, Jesus says, because it will take you to darkness and it will kill you. You know, if you've ever spoken to somebody whose marriage has ended because of unfaithfulness, well, I, I've never met a person who said, ah, oh, you know, I woke up in the morning, I was so happy, I was having such a good day, I got in the line at Starbucks with my face mask on, I saw another beautiful person with a a face mask on, five minutes later, like James Bond, we were in bed together, right? That doesn't happen. What happens is that death starts with the little motion from a little bit to a little bit to a little bit, and before you know it, you found yourself in that place of brokenness and darkness and destruction, the standard of love is faithfulness and commitment to the end. Jesus talks about divorce, and please, like, hear me correctly. Don't hear what I'm not saying. Please know that divorce is complicated and it's messy and it's difficult, and there's always so much going on. And if you want to talk about it, if this is a, your present reality, then I would love to talk to you about it and, you know, pray for God's love and to minister to you. But what well, the, the, the Pharisees had said was, basically, if you wake up in the morning and you're, you basically have had enough of your wife, you wake up and you look and you go, now nah, I'm done, then all you have to do is basically write a little certificate, a little bit of paper, certificate of divorce, here you go, get out of my house. That was genuinely the, the law that the Pharisees had created. Superb, isn't it? Jesus says, is that the standard of love? No, absolutely. That's not the standard of love. Well, what's the standard of love? Is faithful commitment through thick and thin to the end of your life is going the extra way. That's what the standard of love looks like. So you put things in your marriage that are going to protect and safeguard your marriage. Jesus talks about like truthfulness, verse 33. Now this one is a bit technical. It's a bit complicated. Um, you need to know a little bit of Jewish context to know this. And I've only got a but it basically, was like this the Pharisee said, We could promise stuff, but at the same time, if we had our fingers crossed behind our back, it was like if we used a certain combination of swearing on this thing or not this thing, then basically it was a technicality and we could get out of that thing. Right? So, basically, like, you know, you, you park in the parking meter in Old Town you pay for 15 minutes parking, you turn up 27 minutes later, you got a ticket and you get angry and cross, and you go, I'm not paying that ticket. So then you go through this whole next six months of your life trying to argue with the city of Pasadena that actually the sign was not correct or that you weren't quite parked where you said it was or there was some sort of little loophole that you can get out of. She says, is this the standard of truth? Is this where the line of righteousness is? It's absolutely not. The line of righteousness is about when you make your yes a yes. When you make a no, a no. When you turn up, when you say you're going to turn up, when you show up, when you commit, when you go the extra mile, that's the standard of righteousness, not trying to get out of everything when you've decided that you don't want to do it. And then he talks about you know, retaliation. Pharisees went, yeah, eye for an eye. You know, Someone punches you in the face, just swing. Just go for it. Jesus says, no, that's not the standard of love. Of course, the standard of love is to turn the other cheek. It's to turn away. When someone does something evil, but actually it's to do something good. You know, like when someone goes on your social media and they go on and they write that thing, that comment in your feed or that thing that's just very political, you just don't agree with it in any way. And like immediately you're like, straight back in there, die. <laughs> or which used to happen to me all the time, like late on a Friday night, you're at work and someone writes that email You know those kind of emails that people write? Copying in everybody else. I really am angry about the following things. And before you've even paused, before you've even taken a breath, you're like, I'm going to copy in 500 people. Bang! And like you send it out to your whole organization. Jesus says that's not the standard of righteousness and love. It's to turn the other cheek. It's to be different. And then Jesus kind of sums it all up. Verse 43. You know, the Pharisees basically said, love your neighbors and hate your enemies. Like love the people who like you. Love the people who can do something for you. Love the people who will care for you, who see the world in the same way, and then basically hate everybody else. Great motto for life. It's a way to life, isn't it? Jesus says, come on. That is not the standard of love. The gold standard is like active love. It's not love your neighbors hate everybody else. It's love those who hate you. Love those who persecute you. Pray for those who persecute you. Famous theologian says, you know, to return evil for good is of the devil. You know, if someone buys you dinner, you punch them in the face, let's just be honest, that's evil, right? That's not a good idea. If someone buys you dinner, you buy them dinner, that's human. That's exactly what's expected in society. But the gold standard, the standard of love that Jesus talks about is that when someone punches in, you, in them in the face, you buy them dinner. Pretty challenging, isn't it? That we're to be people who go the extra mile, who love in a way that is unexpected, is beyond what is expected in the world. And that as we start to live more and more and more into the things of the kingdom and not the things of darkness, that actually the world will look at the church and go, oh my goodness, this is what love looks like. This is what the kingdom of God feels like. But here's the thing, right? I mean, it's Sunday morning. COVID is hot, everything else probably going, oh my goodness. It's like, Ben, it was hard enough just not to kill my children this week when I've been homeschooling them, right? That was hard enough. It was hard enough to stay married this week in all of the kind of upheaval. It was hard enough to love the people who are on my street when we have different views on politics and COVID and everything else. Like That was hard enough and now you're telling me the standard's not here. The standard's like over here. How on earth are we supposed to live over here? Isn't that just impossible? Well, I just want to finish before we get to communion, with some practical thoughts. Just some things which I think is what what God speaks to us about how to live this new kingdom story. The first one is this. We actually have to recognize and come back all the time to the reality that we have nothing without Jesus. You know, if you think in any respect that with a bit of coaching you can get from here to living some amazing life of love, I think you will die from it. Legalism will kill you. If there's anything in you that says God will only love me if I can get somewhere over there, then you are in big trouble because you won't manage it on your own. Coming to the end of your rope, being spiritually poor as we talked about last week, it means coming back daily to the cross of Jesus Christ. It's to recognize that without him we are screwed, but in him we have a new beginning. Every day, a new start. We are forgiven, we are free. We get to try again and go again. The second thing is that we need to be people who are filled regularly, constantly with the Holy Spirit. You know, I don't know about you, but I don't have within me all that I need to make great choices all the time. I make bad choices a lot of the time. But the prophet Ezekiel says that actually one of the things that the kingdom comes to do, Ezekiel thirty six, twenty seven, I'll put my spirit in you and I will move you to follow my decrees, and then you'll be careful to keep my laws. But what's one of the things that the Holy Spirit brings in our life is that transformation so that we can live the different story. And then the final thing is that actually we need to learn to live well in community. Like one of the things I love about this church, I love about being here with you, is that actually we're a family, which means that we actually have to learn how to do this story of like sin and brokenness and, and journeying towards righteousness well together. Um, I'm so grateful that Matt, who's over there, and Kirby is over here, they've, we've been planning this week and we're gonna start some men's groups. One hour a week, just to get online, just to be together for an hour early in the morning or whatever time they turn out to be, And just to talk, just to pray for each other, just to share the things that we're struggling with in a confined, in a totally confidential space and encourage each other. And if you'd like to be part of one of those, like Matt and Kirby, they'd love to talk to you. If you're a lady and you'd like to start one of those groups for ladies, I'd love to talk to you. Not because I want to be in it, but because, no, but because it would be great. No, this is what it means to be a community of people together. But the promise of God is that as we start to live a different story we will look less and less like darkness. We will look less and less like the world. We will look less and less like brokenness and sinfulness and selfishness and trying to get our own way. And we will start to look more and more like the salt of the earth, like the light of the world. And that's God's promise to you. And I don't know about you, but that's, that's what I need. That's what I want. That's my prayer for us at Vintage Pasadena is that we would be those kind of people that step by step, we would put to death the things of darkness and we would live more and more into the things of the kingdom of earth. So I don't know if you're up for that. If not, it's not too late to run out the door. But if you are up for it, let me, let me pray. And then we're going to come to communion. Just as um, some of us were praying earlier, and actually as I was praying through the week, I, I just sensed that like, what God wanted to do this morning was to, to come and just fill us afresh with his Holy Spirit. that as well as helping us deliver, right, one thing the Holy Spirit does is the Holy Spirit helps us to, to fix our eyes more on Jesus. It ha- reveals Jesus to us. So Holy Spirit, would you come and have your way in this space this morning? Just where you are in all the Things of the morning, all the emotions, however you're feeling, you might want to just, just hold out some ha- your hands if you want to. It's just a way of saying, God, I'm here and I'm available. And I want to invite the Holy Spirit to just to come and minister to our spirits, to our beings. Father, where we we feel like failures. Where we feel broken. Where we feel like we've let ourselves down, let you down, let other people down. Just right now, God, as we confess those things before you, would you just come and, and, and pour out that forgiveness into our lives again? have those words you are not a failure maybe just one or two of us want to hear need to hear that this morning you're not a failure and thank you Jesus that in you we actually can't be failures because if we have Christ we have the righteousness of God living in us that you see us not as failures but as your children holy and pure Lord, we also invite you into those spaces in our lives which are broken, into those places of darkness, the places where our hearts are not in line with your love. Just as the breeze blows gently through here, Holy Spirit, would you just blow gently through our lives? Thank you, Holy Spirit. And Lord God, as we come to take communion this morning, as we re-center our whole lives around the cross of Jesus Christ, which is, of course, the very thing that brings hope and a new beginning and righteousness into our beings. As we remember the cross of Jesus, as we remember his death and resurrection, would you breathe into us the resurrection life, we pray. Thank you, Jesus. So, we're going to take our communion uh, this morning. Uh, as you came in, um, you would have uh, been given a lovely little thing. It was not a thimble full of something weird, it was actually some bread and some wine, or it's actually some grape juice and some little wafer of bread, totally sealed up and uh, clean. And uh, we're going to use some words that are going to come up on the screen. If you're at home and you'd like to join in, you have uh, a little bit of bread, uh, a little bit of wine, or a little bit of grape juice, then absolutely be delighted uh, if you would come and join in with us this morning. Um, I realize it's quite hard to see some of the screens uh, here in the room, but I will say the words. And um, on the bits that are in bold on your screens... Um, if you'd like to, you can uh, you can join in with me as we stay in that place of encountering Jesus, encountering the Holy Spirit and His love for us. Well, Vintage Pasadena, in our homes this morning, in this place, all around the world, wherever we're tuning in from, the Lord is here. His Spirit is with us. Lift up your hearts. We lift them to the Lord. Let us give thanks to the Lord, our God. It's right to give thanks and praise. It's right to praise you, Father, Lord of all creation. In your love, you made us for yourself when we turned away towards darkness. You did not reject us, but you came to meet us in your Son, Jesus. You embraced us as your children, and you welcomed us to sit and eat with you. In Christ, you shared our life that we may live in him and he in us. He opened his arms of love upon the cross and made for all the perfect sacrifice for sin. On the night that he was betrayed at supper with his friends, he took bread and he gave thanks and he gave it to them saying, Take and eat this. This is my body, which is given for you. Do this in remembrance of me. Father, we do this in remembrance of him. His body is the bread of life. At the end of supper, taking the cup of wine, he gave thanks and said, "Drink this all of you. This is my blood of the new covenant, which is shed for you for the forgiveness of sins. Do this in remembrance of me." Father, we do this in remembrance of him. His blood is shed for all. As we proclaim his death, as we celebrate his rising in glory, send your Holy Spirit upon us that these gifts of bread and wine may be to us the body and blood of your dear Son. As we eat and drink these holy gifts, make us one in Christ our risen Lord. So as you have some bread and wine, you might just want to take that where you are as you do, just remember that sacrifice of Jesus made for you which changes everything about who you are and about your future about how God sees you As we continue to worship uh, god this morning uh, daniel and the guys are going to lead us in another couple of songs but i do just want to encourage you whether you're in this space or whether you're online um, do want to encourage you to make the most of the prayer ministry that's going on jeff and linda who are our prayer ministry team they are here they'll be at the back um, they would love to pray with you um, laura and i we're around we would love to pray with you just particularly if there's some area in your life which you'd just love to see freedom from, see breakthrough in, if you'd love to see God bring light where it feels dark at the moment, um, or anything else, um, then we would love to pray for you this morning. But um, if you are here, um, or if you're at home and you'd like to stand and join in as we worship, we're going to do that for a few more minutes. Let's worship God.